going to start in verse 20. It says, Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons, worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What wilt thou? And she saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on thy right hand and the other on the left, in thy kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, Ye know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my father. And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And I'll stop there. I'll pray and before we continue. Lord, again, we just come to you asking for your help this morning. Uh, I pray, Lord, that you would just use the things that I say this morning to uh, be an encouragement, to be a help, to help people understand you a little bit better this morning. Lord, I pray that you would guide my thoughts and my words, that I would be speaking truth, and that this time would be of use to you, Lord. And we just ask your blessing on it. In Christ's name, amen. So I'm not going to get into what's maybe the obvious Thing to get into in this passage of these guys and their mother <laughs> coming to Jesus asking for this thing and then the, the response of the other uh, disciples to that and their understandable response but I'm going to get into just Jesus' response which is probably the most important part of it and then I'll just I'll be focusing specifically um, on the baptism aspect of it this morning. But it is kind of funny that these two disciples' mother comes to Jesus and makes this request, and it's a grand request, isn't it? <laughs> can can these my two sons, your disciples, sit on your right hand on your left hand in the kingdom? That's pretty presumptuous. <laughs> anyway, I, I can't imagine. I don't know. It's the mother doing this, right? It's not them. <laughs> I can't imagine how I would feel if my mother did that. <laughs> Be like trying to hide in a corner behind a bush somewhere, I think. But anyway, such is the case. But Jesus, in verse... 22, Jesus answers, and Jesus is 
so kind in his answer, isn't he? He's not, there's no rebuke in this. There's no, like, what are you thinking? (laughs) It's not a harsh answer at all. He just, he just deals with it. Um, So much better than what most of us would do, of course. But in verse 22, Jesus answered and said, you know not what you ask. And then he, he asks this question, are you able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Now, when I read that, I'm picturing a rhetorical question. <laughs> I don't think that Jesus really, when he asks this, intends them to answer. <laughs> I, it just feels like it's, it's an assumed that this is way more than what you guys realize you're asking. And he even starts that way. You don't know what you ask. But they go ahead and answer this rhetorical question anyway. And they say, yes, yeah, we're able. We can do that. We can drink of the cup and be baptized with your baptism. And in my mind, thinking that this is intended as a rhetorical question, as an assumed, no, you can't, Jesus' response following does not match my expectation. And he says unto them, you shall indeed You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. Like, didn't you ask that in the assumption that no, they couldn't? And yet, when they said, yeah, we're able, he affirms that yes, yes, you will. But the other thing that you asked says that's that's not mine to give. Do you know who Jesus is? (laughs) Jesus is the part of the Trinity that created the world. And yet, he says, it's not mine to give that position. Isn't that incredible that Jesus would would humble himself in that way? Um, That's the least aspect of him humbling himself, by the way. He's humbled himself into being one of us. And so when we get into this, I'm looking at what does he mean? Drinking of his cup and being baptized with the baptism that he's baptized with. That's a kind of an obscure statement or question of what is he actually referring to? And I think, and first of all, the baptism that he's referring to isn't water baptism. It's not when he went to the Jordan River and John the Baptist dunked him in the river. That's not the baptism he's referring to. He's not talking about them going to the river and being physically baptized, although that's the direction I'm going to go this morning. But... But that's not what he's referring to here. But I think as we come to the the last couple of verses that I read, we kind of get the answer. He says, verse 27, Whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even 
as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus, the cup that he came to bear the, was to, to bear our sins, to, to present himself as a servant to minister. And that's the aspect of the, the cup and the baptism that I think he's referring to is you're going to literally give your life to serve people. Because that's exactly what Christ came for, was to give his life. So I, I, that's the best I can come up with of what he's referring to as this cup and this baptism is that aspect of his ministry. And the complete sacrifice of our own will and our own desires, our own needs, for the purpose of serving others. And that's really is exactly what these two disciples ended up doing as they, they went on in life. And so I think that's how that would be applied. But I want to look at baptism. Um, I don't know why bap- this, this has been kind of on my mind for a while now that I need to present what baptism is and what baptism isn't in the church today. And if you just take a concordance of your Bible and look up baptism, I don't know how many times it comes up, but or any version of it, it's in the Bible a lot, and probably more often than not, it isn't referring to water baptism the way that we refer to being baptized. And so we need to be careful in the way that we read and how we apply each time the word baptize is used in scripture. And I just want to try to maybe shed a little bit of light on that this morning and, and help us to, to understand that water baptism aspect of it, at least. We see, if you want to follow me, I'm going to go to Mark chapter 1 for a moment. And we see John the Baptist. Is at the Jordan River, exactly doing what I mentioned. And he's standing in the river and he's baptizing people in the river. Verse 5, Mark chapter 1, verse 5 says, And there went out unto him all the land of Judea, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And John was clothed with camel's hair, and with a girdle of a skin about his loins. And he did eat locusts and wild honey, and preached, saying, There cometh one mightier than I after me, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. And so we see John understands as he's baptizing people in the river, he says, baptize them in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He baptized 
to repentance. And this is before Christ's ministry. This is, he's doing this right at the beginning of Christ's ministry. Jesus himself comes to John and gets baptized by him. So this isn't the kind of baptism that we, this isn't the baptism that we speak of as believers. Because he can't be baptizing, representing the same things that we're representing when we baptize, because those things haven't yet occurred. And so he's just picturing, he's literally picturing a future event that he himself doesn't even understand what that picture is. But he understands that this is representative of you're sorry for your sins and you want to be washed and cleansed of those sins. And that's, they dunk the person in the water and raise them back out as a picture of the cleansing, the removal of sin. And so that's what John the Baptist is preaching and that is what he is baptizing is just repentance of sin. He's not baptizing them to salvation because salvation hasn't yet come. It's just preparing people's hearts that they're ready for the salvation that's going to be presented to them in Christ. And he points to that, says there's one cometh, there cometh one mightier than I after me. And he understands positionally. He says, I'm not, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to stoop down and unloose. I'm not even worthy to wash the feet of the one that comes after me. And yet, John understands this, and yet Jesus, that one, gets down on his knees and washes the feet of his disciples later. Isn't that incredible? Like, when you, when you start to understand who Christ is, when you look at these people who understand, I don't, I don't even deserve to be able to wash his feet, to, to serve him in this way, to, to touch him at all. I should die. <laughs> Being in his presence, I should just drop dead, is, is what John's understanding is. And yet, that same Jesus in his love and compassion and in humility does that exact thing for others that they're not worthy to do to him. He's just so different <laughs> from, from us and we just need to get that understanding of who he is and, and, and us in comparison. And people, I think, the problem that I have and the problem that we all have is that we have such a high estimation of who we are and, and what we deserve. And our society has given our, our kids in schools today this sense of deserving something and that God owes me. And so they think they're, like, to have this attitude toward Jesus in our society today is just so contrary to everything that is taught. And so I think that's why I, I'm, I stress it so because it's such a foreign concept in our world. But this water baptism of John's, and he's pointing it to illustrate a baptism that is yet to come. And he, he says, this one who I'm not worthy to touch, 
is going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost. He understands that there's going to be an infilling of God's Spirit through the, that person. And that there, that's a, there, and there's a whole other form of baptism that we won't get into this morning. But as he's picturing these future things. Now, I need to ask the question, is baptism required for salvation? And if you read Mark chapter 16, you might think that it is. Mark 16, verse 16, says, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And if we just stop there, we're going to get the impression that baptism is a requirement for salvation. But if we read the rest of the verse and actually stop and think for, for a second, we'll understand that that's not what it's being said. It says, So he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. It's not he that is, isn't baptized shall be damned. It's just he that believeth not shall be damned. It's the believing that gives us our salvation. The baptism is just an assumed response to the believing. And I, that's really what I want to focus on. I want to, us to understand that. If you expressed faith in Christ for your salvation, the assumed next action would be baptism. And <laughs> the baptism is an outward expression of what Christ has done in your life. To not want to do that would make me question what has happened in you spiritually. Have you truly trusted Christ and his sacrifice for your sins as a complete payment? That is the only aspect of salvation. And if that is your belief, the next step should be, I'd like to be baptized. And if you've never heard this, that's not your fault. That's, it's when you, when you understand these things that you should then consider and, and seek to be baptized. And we'll look a little further at that now. So I guess part of that question, so if, is it required for salvation? I say it's not. As we look at that verse, it's not. It's the belief that damn the lack of belief that damns us, not the lack of baptism that would damn us. Um, so it's not required for salvation, but it is still important. If we look at, there's a few different passages we can turn to. Galatians chapter three. Galatians three verse twenty five. says, but after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. 
For you are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. And I'll just say that this is one of those instances where he's not referring to water baptism. He's just talking about, but after that, it says, after that faith is come. When you put our faith in Christ's sacrifice on the cross for our sins, that is you, you, the baptism, that is the putting on of Christ. For as many of you have been baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. And it's just in reference to the faith of believing in the sacrifice that he's referring to. And so, the true baptism is the faith in Christ. We're putting on Christ. We're being filled with his spirit. That's the true baptism. Our water baptism, the outward expression, isn't the part that saves us. It's the baptism of the faith. The receiving Christ as our Savior is the salvation. We'll turn um, over to Colossians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just not too far over. Colossians chapter 2. <clears throat> Verse 12 says, We're buried with him in baptism wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. And there's a very similar passage in, in Romans chapter 6. I'm just going to read that passage as well. Romans 6, starting verse 3, says, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Now, I would still argue that neither of these passages is, is really talking about water baptism. They're talking about what spiritually is taking place inside of us when we trust Christ as our Savior. But they're pointing to the water baptism and the picture that that is presenting. And so it's important how and when you get baptized. Many churches in our world do an infant baptism 
and there was a gospel, I don't know if you'd call it a gospel track, there was a track <laughs> that on the front of it says, everything the Bible says about infant baptism, and you open up the tract, and it is completely blank. Because there is not a single instance in the Bible where an in- infant gets baptized. Every, every description of a person being physically baptized is an adult making a conscious choice after repentance or after putting their faith in Christ. So the timing is important. It has to be done after you believe, after you put your faith, because somebody else can't put their faith on you and, in, and put their salvation into you through some act. It's just contrary to everything Scripture says. And so we don't, we don't baptize our babies because at this point in their life, they're still innocent, not knowing the difference between right and wrong, although they do quickly learn that. But they're not required. Baptism isn't the requirement for salvation. It doesn't provide salvation. It's the spiritual belief in Christ that provides salvation. Therefore, we don't need to baptize in order for the child to be saved or to go to heaven if they were to die. And so we don't baptize until a person expresses their faith in Christ. Because that's really what the description in these verses is. is They're talking about baptism, but it's really talking about what Christ has done for us. And it's, our, it's putting our faith in that. And that's that baptism. But the mode of baptism becomes important because that, the old physical expression that baptism is supposed to be needs to picture exactly what Romans 6 describes. It says we're buried with him by baptism unto death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so... We also should walk in newness of life, for if we have been planted together in likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And so that baptism, you need to be planted. You need to be buried. So we need to be immersed in that water and then raised back out, picturing the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. It is that complete picture that is baptism, and if that's not how you were baptized or why you were baptized, you're not baptized according to the scriptural description of it. And yes, we are instructed to baptize. So in Mark, we read that passage, which is at the end of Christ's ministry. It's just one of the one of the. Um, accounts of the last words that Jesus had with with the disciples and he talks about believing and being baptized shall be saved at the end of Matthew uh, Matthew 28 gives us the instruction Matthew 28 verse 20 or 19 sorry says go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. And so our instruction 
is to go and teach all nations and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And so, as missionaries, as, and all of you are missionaries, <laughs> your job is to spread the gospel and to teach people of what Christ did for them. And when they respond to that, we're to baptize them. Remember the first baptism that I did? Somebody asked me, I don't know how they said it, but basically, are you, are you qualified to do that? Like, what qualifies a person to baptize another person? Any one of you could baptize another believer. There is no qualification given to do a baptism. It's, if they believe, they should be baptized. It doesn't matter who does the baptizing. There's no power in, in the person doing it. You just need another believer there to help in the process. That person isn't important. It's the picture of what is being represented is what's important. You're going to go to Acts chapter 8 to read an account of someone believing and being baptized. We're talking around this thing and we need an example, right? And so we'll go to Acts chapter 8 to see one of several examples that we can find through the book of Acts. And there are others. I think the, the thing that I note as you go through the book of Acts and people are believing, there's not, and we, I don't know what it is about our, the church today, there seems to be this delay between someone believing and them being baptized. And we want to make sure they understand all these things. And we have classes. And so churches will, you know, if anybody wants to be baptized, and we're going to hold a series of classes for them to make sure they understand all these different things that we teach. That's not the picture we see in Scripture. It's a, they believe, and they're baptized. Amen. Done. <laughs> we'll, we'll worry about the teaching as time goes on. And so Acts chapter 8, we have this um, story that, that's kind of laid out where Philip is taken by the Spirit and there's an Ethiopian eunuch traveling. He's sitting in his chariot reading the scriptures. Um, I'm in the wrong chapter. I'm in the wrong book, never mind. Doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, well, Romans 8 doesn't say the same thing. So, <laughs> so Acts chapter 8. Um, verse 29 says, Then... The Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I, except some man should guide me? 
and he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb, dumb before his shearer, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speakest the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. What did he, how do you start at the same scripture and preach Jesus? Well, you describe who Jesus is and you describe how he willingly let himself be arrested, let himself be tortured, and let himself be crucified on that cross. And you start to put the picture together of this passage, and what it's really pointing to is what Christ has done on the cross and how salvation is achieved through that sacrifice. In verse 36, it says, And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. There's our requirement for baptism is, Do you believe? Do you believe that Christ died for your sins and that's the only way to heaven? And he answers and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went down both into the water, both Philip and the eunuch. So again, we notice he didn't grab a bowl and go and scoop a little bit of water <laughs> to sprinkle, right? So the method is given here as well. They both went down into the water, both Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip, that the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. That's it. There's like, you preach the gospel. Here's Christ. Here's what Jesus did for you on the cross. He took your sin on him. And let God's wrath be poured out on him as payment for your sin. Do you believe that? Says, yeah, I believe that. Well, then go ahead and be baptized. That's it. That's the only requirement. Let's be baptized. And he finds a puddle deep enough to get into. And they go down and get in that water. And he, he says he's baptized. Like, it's just assumed that we understand the the rest of the picture, right, is that he gets dunked under that water and then raised up to fulfill the picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and what that means for us. That's baptism. That is all it takes. If that's not how you were baptized, I'd suggest that you still need to be baptized. If you haven't yet been baptized and you believe in Christ as your Savior, then 
I suggest you need to be baptized. And we could wait until the river thaws before we do it, but um, <laughs> we could cut a hole in the ice too. It's fine with me, but um, hey, I, we baptized Dave in at Round Lake in the middle of May. Like I think it was about a week after the ice was off the lake. So. Um, Somehow God warmed that puddle around us while we did it because we survived just fine. But we go to Acts chapter 19, and I just want to point this out of being re-baptized. If, there's some, if you don't feel like, if you, or if you got baptized in some way at some point in your life, and that doesn't fit this picture, it's, it's right. It is the right thing to do, to be baptized again. I, I re-baptized a young lady at camp a few years ago because she had, a, she had been baptized as a, a very young girl, having understood the gospel as well as she was able at the time. But she felt that her understanding of the gospel was so much better and that she really wanted to be baptized again now that she had a better understanding of the gospel message and her salvation. And so I was glad to, to do that with her as well. Acts chapter 19, and right at the beginning of the chapter, it says, And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you have believed? And they said unto him, we have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism, baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They'd been baptized by John the Baptist. But they didn't know the message of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross as payment for their sin. And so when they heard that, they believed it, and they baptized them a second time. And that's why I say, if if at some point in your life you've been baptized in some way, but without the understanding of who Christ was and the payment for your sin, you need to do it again. Because that's the order, is that you believe and then be baptized. And, and we see the example of it um, done by the, the apostles themselves, um, by Paul, as he's going and teaching people. And as they understand this, even after being baptized by John the Baptist, they see the need to redo this because now they understand what this baptism represents. And so as we understand that baptism is a picture of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, and not just Christ's burial and resurrection, it's my, my belief in that. It's my, I'm dying to my sins. I'm I'm killing this body <laughs> spiritually 
And I'm willing to die with Christ. And I'm going to be raised to a new life, a rebirth, a, a new spirit. Jesus said you must be born again. This is a picture of that second birth, that spiritual birth. It's a physical representation of what spiritually is taking place inside of us. And so we're, we do this after it's actually taken place. Because we can't picture something that hasn't taken place yet. We need to do it after is the picture that's given in Scripture. And so that's how and why and when we do these things. So again, just as an encouragement, if you haven't yet been baptized, come and we'll, we'll talk about it and we can talk further about these things or if you feel that you need to be baptized again for whatever reason. Same thing and, and once we have open water, we can make an arrangement and, and on some Sunday morning we'll down to that river. I, I hear there's a deep spot there somewhere that we can baptize in. So, Anyway, that would be my pleasure to, to do that with anybody here that feels that need. So let's close in prayer. Father, I pray that uh, I have made this clear enough that it is easily understood um, and that people would see its purpose um, Lord, that it's not a requirement for salvation, but it's just something that we ought to do. We were instructed to do it, and it's just an act of obedience, a public expression of our faith in Christ. So, Lord, we just ask that you um, just help each of us to understand that, and just if we need to act on that, I just pray, Lord, that you would uh, give people that desire to, to follow those instructions. Lord, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.